Welcome and thanks for listening to this message from City Bridge Community Church. Our heart at City Bridge is to call all people to be fully devoted followers of Christ. To learn more about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. Now, here's the message. All right, well, good morning. My name's Rob Berry, and so excited you're here. If you're with us every single Sunday, some of you have already approached me, and you're like, man, I love the 11, but I really like the 1115 service. I could get used to this. Don't get too comfortable with that. But I wanted to start this morning with just a question for you guys. What is the most memorable moment that comes to mind when you think about Easter? So go back in the archives of your history. What is the most memorable moment on Easter for you? Well, I got two that share um, first place. The first just happened to do with what happened Easter of 1999. I was finishing up college, coming back here, and I was going to meet my best friend at the time, Adam Loki, at a church over on Northwest Highway. And Just to give you a backdrop to Easter of 99, one of the topics that was surrounding Easter of 99 was Y2K. Now, some of you have never even heard of that. You don't even know what that is. So let me just give you a summary sentence. Everybody in the world knew that the world was run by computers, and on the year 2000, all the computers were going to crash, and all your bank accounts were going to think it was 1900. So everybody was in this disarray around Easter. But in the middle of all that, Easter still happens. So I walked in to meet my friend, Adam Loki, and he had with him two friends that happened to be girls. And I was like, dang, bro, you've done pretty good for yourself while I was going off to school. One of those ladies was Leslie, um, who became my wife, and she was with her roommate, Shelly Johnson, who became Shelly Allmeyer, one of our best friends who's a member here. Pretty good Sunday, right? Pretty good Easter Sunday. The second one happened three years earlier, 1996. I was a brand new follower of Jesus. And I remember going to the same church and bringing my friends with me who were clueless, like a ball in a, you know, tall grass. And as much as I tried to explain Jesus, they, it just wasn't connecting And I remember thinking, if I could just get my friends into Easter, the pastor can be clear in a way that I can't be clear and simple in a way that I can't be simple. And so that's my hope for you this morning. I'm going to be clear, short, and simple this morning if you're joining us. So I start with those questions because whatever memory came to your mind, it is connected with a feeling. Good, bad, right, wrong, some of the feeling that of the story that popped in your mind, maybe have as deep as Easter bunny and Easter egg hunts. And there's no judgment there, okay? So I start with that because as we are connected with a feeling with memories, the feeling that God wants you to be most connected with as you think about the resurrection, about today, and about the reality that Jesus is alive is joy, joy. But joy only happens as you come to grips with who Jesus is and the reality that he's alive. And joy is very different than happiness. 
Because happiness is connected to a circumstance. Like, I just got a massage and I'm happy, right? Joy can exist in the middle of horrible circumstances, good circumstances. It is not connected to your reality. Joy is where the Lord wants to lead all of us. And there are really three reactions. If the goal is joy, the goal is coming to grip with who Jesus is, there are really three responses to the reality that Jesus is alive. They're the exact three responses that the disciples had 2,000 years ago or the disciples we have today. So, right now, let's jump into Luke chapter 21. If you brought your Bibles, Luke chapter 21. And if you didn't bring your Bibles, that's okay. We're going to throw it up, up here. But let me just give you a recap. Luke 24, chapter 24, follows Luke chapter 23. And if you're new here, you don't know much about the faith, let me tell you what happens in Luke chapter 23 to give you some context for Luke 24. Luke chapter 23, Jesus is ending his three-year earthly ministry. And that ends with basically ending up on a cross. He's been predicting his entire three years that there was going to be a time coming where he was going to have to die for the sins of the world. And that happened on Good Friday, where Jesus ended up on a cross and his broken, crushed body was moved from that cross into a tomb where he remained dead, broken, and crushed. But that's not the only storyline going on there. There's also a storyline of the disciples Male disciples, female disciples that followed Jesus and kind of gave up everything. They put all the eggs into that basket. And they're like, oh my gosh, we've invested our life in something that has ultimately crashed. And so as Jesus' broken body is in the tomb, the disciples are like spiritually broken, emotionally broken and crushed, and everything is just in disarray. But Jesus ultimately came to fulfill and do what he claimed he was going to do. And his primary message the entire time he was on earth was, I'm here to reconcile God to man. But that story started thousands of years earlier. See, God, if you're not familiar with the meta narrative of the scripture, God created everything. And he says it was good and created male and female. And when he created them, he created them to walk in deep relationship, deep fellowship with him, like security, like you've never tasted before because you're in a relationship with the creator of the universe. But that did not last long because at some point, man and woman decided, you know what? We want to run our own offense. God, we like you in the picture here, but we want to go do what we want to do. They rebelled, high treason against the king of kings. And because there was high treason, that relationship got severed and broken. And not just that relationship, everything broke in a way that I don't even need to explain because we've all been tasting the reality of a broken world where everything's broken. And God promised for thousands of years that he would send somebody to make everything right again. Enter Jesus. As Jesus calls people to follow him, he has a message as he's, as he's talking about how do you get reunited with the God of the universe? He says things like this, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. 
And the disciples like, how can anybody do that? And it's like, exactly. You can't because you're broken. But there is one who is perfect, and his name is Jesus. And as Jesus predicts, I am headed to the cross to make this thing right again. The Apostle Paul says it like this. If you want to know what happened on that cross, what happened on that cross was this. Paul says this, that the Lord made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin so that we may become the righteousness of God. What happened on that Good Friday was as Jesus, who was morally straight and never sinned, literally took all of our sin, past sin, present sin, future sin on him. And because God is a just God and must judge sin, he crushed Jesus. But the story of Good Friday didn't stop there because Jesus throws his righteousness on us. So because of the cross, because his work on the cross, we can stand sinless before God because it's all been paid for by Jesus and we get his righteousness. And those who believe in Jesus and his work can be restored for all eternity without adding anything else, no good work to that story. That's Luke 23. Now let's look at Luke 24. Starts with this in verse one. On the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb. The they here is the, are the female disciples. Like There's three or four women that are going to check on Jesus. They went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Now, this, this stone that was rolled away is like massive. And you would put stones in front of a tomb that really nobody could move. It would take multiple people to get this stone in place. They weren't too concerned with somebody walking out of the tomb. They were trying to keep grave robbers from going in the tomb. So the women find up, they show up, and they find this stone rolled away. It says, verse 3, But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead. He's not here because he is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third day, rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe him. But Peter rose up, ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had just happened. So the first response that gets in the way of joy is just this. That's a crazy story. That is a crazy story. Jesus is alive? That's crazy. The resurrection happened? That's crazy. Where do I get that? Look at verse 11. These seem to them an idle tale. In case you missed who the them is, it's all the men who have books named after them in the New Testament. And all those people are like, that's a fairy tale. 
That's crazy. Like on the same level of like, if you were reading your kids a bedtime story, like I'm reading you Chronicles of Narnia, or it's on the same level as like watching Bluey if you're a parent in here, or, you know, Daniel Tiger. That's just a story with a good moral implication. A couple weeks ago, um, we were on spring break, my family, and we went to Big Bend. I've always wanted to go there. My kids are like, we're going to the desert to hike. I'm like, yes, isn't that awesome? <laughs> and um, there we met, you know, we had a guide on the Rio Grande River and just got talking to him about, man, how do you make sense of all this? It's just, just totally random. Do you think there's somebody behind all this? And we finally got to a point where I just moved into kind of clarifying the gospel, you know, who Jesus was, why he came. He came to make the payment for sins once and for all. And he was raised from the dead. And I looked at him and I said, hey, do you believe he's alive? I know you were raised in the Bible Belt. What do you believe? Do you believe he was alive? And that guy looked at me like I was crazy. Why? It was just an idle tale to him. It's just an idle tale. How do you know if this is your view of the resurrection? Because as this is the disciples' view, I, I'm not, it's not a stretch to believe that there are people in here that believe this. That is just some idle tale. How do you know if that's you? Well, you may know about the story, but it has no impact in your day in and day out life. It, it's just kind of a story you are told or reminded of once a year on Easter Sunday. And you can walk out of here and it's like nothing ever happened. It's kind of like during the Christmas season when you and your family watch Elf. Now, I got rebuked in the first hour for only acting like you should watch that movie once a year. But the point is, you watch Elf one time a year with your family and you really don't think about it. It has no bearing on your life through the rest of the year. That's how you know, you may know that this is actually the view you have. There's just no movement in your heart there. So how do you get unstuck from that? If that's what you believe, what do you do? What is your next step to help you move towards another response? I would just strongly encourage you to get around history. Go watch some videos, read some articles on the historicity of the resurrection. And as you read people who may not even be Christ followers, they're just historians that look at documents all over the world and all different time periods, and they have markers that they're looking for to validate, is this just a myth or is this an actual event that took place in history? We're going to have a QR code up at the end of the service you can click on, and it'll take you to more resources around history. But let me just give you one. You know, as historians are looking at this event or any other event, one of the criteria is like, hey, did this, did this something that happened in private? Is this just a revelation from God that nobody else can validate and you're going to go recruit followers around this private revelation? Or maybe you translated something in private with no witnesses and you're calling people to follow you based on your word. Friends, that is not the Bible. 
That is not what happened here. Jesus was publicly sentenced. He was publicly crucified. He was publicly buried. And he was publicly raised from the dead. So public to the fact that in the middle of Luke 24, as the disciples are talking, they look and they respond to the risen Jesus like, haven't you heard the story? Are you the only person in Jerusalem that hasn't heard? Basically about what happened to Jesus? Everything that happened here happened publicly and appeared to 500 plus witnesses. So if you get wrapped in here and you think it's crazy, denial story, the best thing you do is, Lord, help me and go examine history. They were unmoved. There was one disciple that was actually moved to go do something. Look at verse 12. Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves and he went home marveling at what had happened. So the first response is crazy. The second response is confused. The second response is confused. Now, some of you are like, I don't even see the word confused in here. Where is that? Well, look at the word marveling. People, I mean, Peter, and he went home marveling about what had happened. Now, you and I can't read that word marveling objectively because we love the Marvel Universe. And when we serve the word marvel, we think about Thor, we think about Iron Man. There's a different connotation here. Sorry to break it to you. When Peter is using the word marvel here, it's not that he disagrees with the resurrection. He just is uber confused. He, he like can't make sense of it. His like circuits are fried in his brain. There's a deep lack of comprehension with Peter. And I love it. He takes that comprehension back to the home. He doesn't stay there. And if this is you, you're wrestling with stuff at your house. How do you know if this is you? Man, you really seek truth. You really want to know reality. And maybe you're not even tied up on the historicity of it. It just doesn't make sense to you. And, and friends, I get it. As I dialogue with people around just this event, or frankly, other things in Christianity, sometimes I just want to be honest and be like, hey, this is crazy. When we talk about Christmas, that God himself became a baby in a manger, and that baby was holding the universe together. That's either crazy or it's true. Easter, wait a minute. There's a guy that predicted, prophets predicted 600 years before that this would happen. This guy comes and all throughout his ministry is telling people that's where I'm headed and he heads there and a dead man goes in the tomb and a live person comes out. Friends, that's either crazy or it's true. In a world that we're all steeped in, right from elementary up, this world of naturalism, where the supernatural is crazy, friends, I get it. This is either crazy or it is true. 
So what do you do? If you're seeking, you really want things to make sense, and it's just not clicking for you, what do you do there? Well, look at what it says in verse 6. It just says, remember how he told you. Friends, if this is you, um, three different times in chapter 24, the disciples that are confused are taken back to the scriptures to explain the reality of the resurrection and that Jesus is alive. So here's, I just keep wrestling with God's word. Read it, digest it, don't do it alone. The great thing about this is Peter was never confused alone outside of that moment. He was always trying to make sense of the resurrection with the other disciples. If that's you, join us up here literally every night. We have something going on, and whether it's marriage-related or recovery-related, every one of those ministries here is with people. You're on the same journey with people, and it's all about how the resurrection speaks into that issue. So, man, just don't do it alone. So the first response is, that's crazy. The second response is just deep confusion. And the third response is committed to Christ. The third response is committed to Christ. Look at what he says in verse 50. And he led them. Let's just stop right there. These disciples are no longer being led by their feelings. They are being led by a person. He led them out as far as Bethany and lifting up his hands, blessed, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven and they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they were continually in the temple blessing God. Now, if you're reading the contrast between confused and full devotion in Jesus, you should be asking, what happened in between verse 12 and verse 50? Let me just tell you what happened in between there. Verse 6. Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, but he's risen. Verse 7. And be crucified on the third day, rise. And they came back, verse 23, saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Verse 34. The Lord has risen indeed. Verse 46. Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. So let me ask you guys a question. When was the first day in your life when you can recall realizing that Jesus is alive? When was that moment where you're like, oh my gosh, Jesus, he's not just a person in history. He's inhaling, he's exhaling right now, ruling the universe. When was that moment for you? Mine came after I'd kind of dealt with the cross. I became so consumed with the fact that there was a God that loved me and didn't just want to throw a lightning bolt through me for sin. And there was a God that made provision through the cross so I could be right with him. I was so consumed by the love of God and his provision. I just kind of missed the resurrection. 
And I remember being at a church in Plano, an Anglican church with my buddy Adam Loki, same guy. Good things happen around him. And I remember there's just something that was said. I was like, oh my gosh, Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. And here's the reality. If I had a quiz on orthodoxy and there was a multiple choice, is Jesus alive? I would have circled, yes. I knew it here. I knew the creeds. Some of us grew up in a creedal tradition, right, where uh, we say the Nicene Creed or the Apostles' Creed. He was crucified for our sins, buried and raised from the dead. I could say it. I knew it all day long, but I didn't know it. Friends, when did you reconcile with the reality that Jesus is alive? He's alive. See, we don't worship a historical Jesus. We worship a living Jesus who's alive. Jesus has lived a perfect life, so we don't have to, and that person is alive. Jesus faced judgment. Serious judgment. Flogging, crucifixion. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me as God crushed his son for our sin? That Jesus is alive. This Jesus can be falsely accused by people in his own religious party sentenced by a people-pleasing politician named Pilate, whipped, beaten, crucified, put in a tomb. That person's alive. And the reality is, I don't know what you're walking out here to. You may be going to like a dysfunctional family lunch that you're just like, man, guys, Jesus is alive. And that alive Jesus is with you out when he will go with you out those doors. When you clock in tomorrow morning, you're like, dude, I can't do this job. Jesus is alive. Your marriage feels like it feels hopeless on the level of the disciples with a crucified Lord in the tomb. You're just like, literally it would take a miracle. Jesus is alive. That sin that has held you in captivity, they're like, if anybody knew this, she'd leave. If anybody knew this, fill in the blank, I'd go to jail. Let me tell you, Jesus is alive. And friends, whatever isolating abyss you're in right now, he wants to be there with you because he's alive. Thanks for listening. We pray this message encourages you on your journey with Jesus. If you found this message helpful, feel free to share it with others and leave us a review. To learn about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. You can also follow us on social at citybridgecc. See you next time.